Hello, everybody, and welcome to this first full proper episode of 2021 of the Higher Ed Geek Podcast. Uh, so this is going to be episode number 112 uh, with George Moore, the CTO of Cengage, uh, which is a big player here in the ed tech space. So really uh, grateful for this conversation. Uh, we did actually record this uh, last month, uh, so before the new year. Uh, but so it'll be coming out here uh, as the first new episode, and we'll have a lot more great stuff coming up in the uh, following weeks that uh, we did actually record here in 2021. But uh, this stuff is still uh, really resonant, really uh, relevant, just about the landscape of digital learning as we're heading into this new year. Uh, so really appreciate George's insights and all that he shared. Uh, There's a great article that he wrote uh, that we linked out to in the show notes for the episode. So definitely go check that out. Connect with George. Uh, keep the conversation going. Uh, but uh, yeah, so this is uh, you know our first episode. And with that, uh, as I mentioned in the quick premiere episode, uh, I've got the merch store going strong. There is actually a great sale going on right now if you're listening to this. Uh, so from January 13th, uh, through the 16th, uh, that sale is going on in the merch store. Some great deals there. Great way to support the show. Uh, so definitely go take a look and appreciate everyone's support there. Uh, but otherwise, uh, just kind of sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode number 112 with George Moore. All right. So um, I'm super excited for our conversation today. Uh, this is going to be one of the episodes to kick us off of season five uh, of the podcast. And I've heard of Cengage uh, just kind of in the ether of the higher ed tech world. So I'm uh, excited to learn more uh, about the work that uh, you and your team are doing, George, and more about your story and everything. So uh, we will start there as we always do, though, if you want to uh, introduce yourself and your professional journey of how you got to be where you are today. Sure. Thanks, Dustin, for having me. I'm uh, excited to be on. Um, yeah, so I'm the Chief Technology Officer at Cengage. Um, Cengage is uh, the largest U.S.-based uh, content and technology company and have about 12 million uh, students that we serve annually. Uh, my journey to this position, I'm an engineer by training, started off um, kind of slinging code uh, in a lot of different spaces, uh, both small startups and large multinational companies. The, um, you know, I, some of the common threads through my career have been, you know, working with, with in spaces and companies that technology was going to be a large change uh, agent going forward. So I was at the beginning of... Uh, how technology helped revolutionize the uh, real estate industry, bringing some of the first mm -hmm. multiple listing services online back in the 90s. A lot of really fascinating stuff to see how, uh, how you could go from uh, printed books of the houses that are for sale in your town to what we have today, realtor.com and different kind of real-time information. I then moved in you know, a lot of different companies. I've uh, spent a lot of time at, in the pharmaceutical space building software to help facilitate the new drug applications. And you know, a proud thing that I have uh, over the last, being in the news recently is all of the new uh, vaccines are using software that um, the company I was part of built and distributed out to companies to help take um, this vast amount of information and get it through the regulatory affairs process as fast as possible. So interesting things, you know, I have been at Cengage for uh, about eight years now, be eight years in January. And, you know, I came on to this journey really for the same piece, that I saw a huge inflection point that education had been a laggard in adopting technology to help create better experiences and more efficiency. And I thought Cengage was a great platform, 100-year-old company that really was a, a cornerstone in the industry um, and in an industry that really uh, was need some uh, 
efficiencies and better experiences that kind of 21st technology can bring to the bring to the table. Yeah, and that's fascinating. It's just the different things that you've done. I guess is it fair to say because I guess like what I sort of was uh taking in, I guess, is that like it seems as though you were kind of like going where you feel like your skills and experience could kind of make the you know the most impact. Like you kind of, you know, working and you know, seeing this opportunity, yeah, with real estate listings. It's like, yeah, like yeah. that's huge, you know, just kind of sees a you know, seismic shift of, you know, how people find their homes. And then like, yeah, and the in the healthcare industry and that's having like kind of a through line to our current moment. And then in education, it seems as though like it maybe was less about like uh you know, the company or the role itself is just like, you're kind of getting out of like, okay, this is like an opportunity for me to really be of use and of value and really make a big impact. Like, was that kind of like a connective tissue for you, I guess? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I I think, um, look, I love making a big impact and I love change. I love challenges. And um, so each of the career choices I've made have all been around how can how can the work I do make a big impact and um, help facilitate positive change? And, you know, it's great that uh, the hot, my hobby, I've been writing um, programming since I was about 10 years old, that something that I thought of as a hobby and was a passion that my wife calls it my crossword puzzles, as I still have my side projects that I like to work on, mm-hmm. um, that that became something that I could use to um, have an impact. So it's it's been great. It's I've turned my hobby into my full time job, and uh, you know, not a lot of not everyone gets to do that. And it, you know, I think Cengage has the inflection point with Cengage. Uh, you know, I have a currently have a fifth grader and a ninth grader in school, and you know, education is such a impactful piece on people's lives, and you know, something that we'd like to say at Cengage is, you know, we believe in the joy and the power of learning, and I truly believe that statement that that's. There's so much power in it, and that aha moment when you solve a problem, when you uh, figure out a crossword puzzle or whatever it might be, that kind of dopamine effect that happens is such an empowering component. And you know, I think technology really has the opportunity to help progress this. You know, the textbook, which Cengage started uh, its history in, was a great tool to put in between a uh, brilliant scientist and an eager student. The textbook helped organize the conversation, helped organize the scope in which how broad we're going to talk about today and, and then what order we should talk about these topics. And it was really the facilitator between that relationship. And I think, but that's 300 year old technology. And so today, I think Cengage's role is very similar, but it's, uh, but it's using today's technology to help facilitate that relationship. Yeah, I mean, well, that perfectly uh, segues to my next question of, uh, you know, anything else, I guess, in terms of explaining a bit about Cengage and, you know, uh, ways that maybe people sure. maybe have interacted with it and just sort of, you know, kind of like affirming like, yeah, you know, like this is like, a you know, maybe a common product or common like tool. Platform. Yeah, absolutely. We're we're one of the big, largest companies that nobody knows about. Um, yeah. <laughs> we have about 5,000 employees around uh, international company, 26 offices around the country or excuse me, around the world. Um you know, we, we really focus in a few different areas. We have a very large higher edu- U.S. higher education business where it started, as I said, as a textbook business, but has moved to the majority of our experiences are all uh, online experiences and helping the blended experience. So both fully online courses, but also traditional courses that have moved to this blended learning 
being able to create these uh, more experiential learning environments inside the classroom or as part of their at-home work in that, for that class. So that's the largest part of the business, but we also have a big li- library reference business. That business started as a microfish business years and years ago, and now is an on- one of the largest online databases of reference information uh, for the humanities. Uh, we teach English language. We own um, National Geographic Learning. Um, and so we have a big business where we're teaching English as a second language around the world, helping uh, people uh, get new opportunities. And, and really, we, we look at English as the language of commerce. So we take the National Geographic approach where we think of this as the world's English, not any specific region. And... Um, and then we have a K-12 business where, um, where we work in um, the history and reading and um, leveraging a lot of the National Geographic assets in that process. So large, com- you know, uh, large company, 5,000 employees. We touch about uh, 12 million students every, every semester, uh, one way or another. And um, we also brought in, uh, probably got the most notoriety around bringing in what uh, some people are calling the Netflix of education. So really changing the dynamic of how you should interact with um, content uh, when you're going to college with the idea that instead of trying to figure out the best, cheapest way to buy a book, the way, should I rent one? Should I buy it? Should I get an ebook? A flat rate for $119, you can have 100%. You can access to 25,000 ebooks, all of the digital solutions, all your homework solutions. Uh, get a free rental as part of that for your courses, all for $119 a, sem- uh, a semester. So just trying to simplify our business models so that they're more in align with the way students interact today. You know, we're not buying DVDs anymore. We're subscribing to subscriptions. That's how all of your content interaction should be. Gotcha. Yeah, I mean, it makes a lot of sense. Um, and yeah, I mean, just the, uh, you know, you're kind of noting just like as this venerable institution, how much things have changed within uh, the lifespan of the company and everything. And I guess just, you know, for the time that you have been there, uh, I think you said like around like eight years or so, um, you know, as like a chief technology officer, like how do you see your role fitting into all those things? Do you feel like you're the one that is driving the change or are you kind of uplifting ideas that like, you know, others have maybe like a mixture of both, I guess, just kind of a quick snapshot of like your role within all that. Yeah. So, you know, I'm responsible for all technology, uh, customer service, uh, our business systems, but, um, but also our, all of our products that are um, sold to our customers. You know, I think the biggest, um, I would say looking back, I didn't realize that this was going to be a big part of my role uh, when I started the job, but in retro, in retrospect, you know, one of the the secrets of Cengage's success over these years has been the able the ability to leverage the people who've been here. We have a very long tenure. Half of our employees, give or take, their tenure is probably over ten or fifteen years. In some twenty, and wow. I had a uh, I actually had a a uh, fifty year re, um, um, anniversary on one of my um, employees uh, about six months ago. So been here a long time, been uh, part of it. And then marry that with people who have been here for three years. And I think that three to four years is the other half of the, of the tenure. And so the, the blending the history of what helped get us here with the outside and kind of new technology and new way, new way of approaching problems uh, from the people who've come to this company really has been a big, big part of my role is how can you blend those experiences uh, in that history with the external experiences and other types of how to approach problems. 
is really, I think, what's made it different. We're not trying to go change everything. We're, we understand where we came from and the power of the content and technology, but we also understand um, that you know we've got to bring this into the 21st century, and there's a lot of companies we can learn from and um, and help emulate. Gotcha. Um, well, that's certainly, uh, always just like when I feel like there's like smooth segues, cause like, yeah, that idea of like, you know, history, the future and all that, I feel like 2020, you know, uh, is wow. this quite interesting, <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, what a year to like, kind of have that sort of like, you know, place as like this venerable institution that we're, you know, uh, higher ed in general confronting things that, uh, haven't really, uh, been faced in quite some time. And certainly to a certain extent, this is just kind of accelerating change that was already happening. But I'll, I'll ask you a question. It's sort of like a, an interesting kind of angle because I, I is the optimist, a uh, very positive person. I'll just be curious kind of what, what kind of, uh, you know, how this hits you is sort of reflecting on all the digital education experiences in 2020. Certainly, you know, the quick pivots, the the transitions, the fully online, yeah. uh, you know, with like, you know, decent beetle decent bit of lead time. Um, what has been like reassuring to you this year with everything that's been going on in digital education? Yeah, there's two different areas I'll, I'll focus on there. I think, um, you know, when I, when, when COVID hit and I had to um, sit in front of our, all of our employees and talk about what we were going to do and talk about um, what this meant for Cengage. And, you know, we were, uh, we knew that it was going to hit us and, you know, just the mere fact that the U.S. higher education depends a lot on international students, um, and, mm. and we knew that they wouldn't be able to come, and so we knew that kind of financially and practically the schools were all going to be in a lot of stress. And you know, we talked about this is going to be a big storm, and we need to hunker down and try to f- make sure we can weather the storm, because at that time I felt that the that once you got through the storm, you know, things would brighten up, and I thought this would be a good thing for Cengage in the industry. And so I think the thing that I've seen, which is great to see, is, you know, we threw all of the educators in the United States into the deep end of the pool, and they all had to learn how to um, teach online overnight. You know, in the first few weeks of COVID, we opened up all of our systems uh, free of free of charge, so that student the, these uh, students and instructors could quickly get the assets they need. Let's not worry about the price. Let's worry about getting them in. And we had over a million students sign up in a, in a few days. We set up, we helped set up like fifty thousand courses, uh, give or take, in that few days. So massive amount of work. And I think the most encouraging thing that came out of it is. You know, in that same metaphor, we threw them into the deep end of the pool and none of them drowned. And they all realized the kind of unilateral uh, uh, comment I get is, it wasn't as hard as I thought it would be. This is this mm. technology I've, I've avoided for a while, but I see where it fits in. And, and so I think, you know, COVID is going to be this inflection where you know, the education industry has always been very reticent on taking on big change and taking on technology and not going too fast. This forced us to all go very fast. And when we got there, we realized, you know, we still need to learn the backstroke, but we're not drowning. And this is something we can digest. And this is something that has, uh, is not overly, overly complex. So I think, um, so it's encouraging that, you know, when we poll students, they always felt that they wanted a better uh, digital learning experience. When you polled instructors in the past, there was always a lot of intrepidation. Recently, we just polled instructors. Um, we do a big survey, annual survey every year, over 100,000 uh, instructors. And this year, over 80%, 84% of them in one of the surveys said they felt prepared to teach online. 
So to me, I think this is, you know, we're going to look back 10 years on this big COVID uh, blip that was, I think, an inflection point in kind of how we think about education, how we think about, um, you know, I think a digital component of education is probably here to stay, that it's, it is a, a good tool in the toolbox for even a very established uh, four-year institution that this is, there are, um, you know, you get to watch the, the lecture a few times. And that's something if, if our objective is to disseminate information and, and prepare our uh, students for future, getting them to understand the concept is the number one objective. So if there's tools that we can do to help facilitate that, we need to use everything we can. And I think that this is going to be a time where we look back and say that if it wasn't for COVID, I don't know if we would have come as far as we have at this point. Yeah. Um, and I mean, it's because these are the kind of conversations, it's just reassuring that like the pattern continues, I guess, is yeah. that like, you know, these things will be here to stay because I keep worrying. It's like, are we just going to like backtrack back because everybody's like, oh, OK, I'm only using it because I have to or whatever, you know, um, but that like, yeah, like you can replicate like really high quality digital education now. And that's been really made apparent to a lot more people and that that can be a kind of companion modality, like somebody could have kind of some fluidity between taking a course in person or online or be entirely online and, you know, still come to campus if they want to use like spaces or something. But yeah. And I think through all these conversations, it's like, cause I guess for me too, it's like, you know, just kind of wallowing in the misery that is 2020. Like this yeah. has been a really hard year for so many people. It's like acknowledging that, accepting that and learning from that, but also being like, well, there's, there's some silver linings here. Like we should yeah. really try to acknowledge like, you know, like you were saying, like people put in a lot of hard work to do these pivots and seeing that like, wow, it, it, yeah, we're not drowning. Like it, it, this is working. Like people are feeling confident. People are feeling prepared and like we're addressing, you know, the needs and desires of students and creating more of that accessibility. And just, you know, I think that this is like, yeah, like it's going to be tipping over and kind of getting this momentum really going that like, there's been so many people obviously that have been working hard to like get digital education to where it is now. And this is kind of, I think what's going to get it over the hump of just like, okay, this is, just going to be everywhere in some, you know, respect, you know, where there's just going to be, uh, you know, probably a lot more online courses and hybrid programs and, uh, different thing like that, which, uh, yeah, I'm really happy to see, you know, and I think it's interesting, uh, about this time I did my, every year I get interviewed for my 2020 predict or my next year predictions. So last year I did my 2020 <laughs> predictions, you know, I didn't predict this. So that's, <laughs> um, but what I did say is that I thought this was going to be a year where the CIO of a university really, uh, had was going to be more in the spotlight and going to take on. And I couldn't, I happened to bumble into that. And sure enough, that happened. What I think is going to be interesting at this time, you know, in working with CIOs in the past, they all, one of their biggest challenges was to get a seat at the table and to kind of push, you know, we, we bought an LMS for everyone, but I can't get them to use it. We mm. created this, but I can't get them to use it. Now I think it's, you know, CIOs um, are in an interesting position that I think they can now become somewhat the own bottle, their own bottleneck. That now all of a sudden demand is rushing in, and are they prepared to be able to uh, thoughtfully and um, succinctly and um, in a um, understanding security and other aspects? Are they ready to kind of respond to this inflection point that, at a higher level? And it's it, you know it's going to be is I think it's going to be a challenge. I think it's something that they. Uh, that all of them are working together to figure out not, you know, all of a sudden they have a seat at the table and then many times they're at the head of the table and that's not the position they, they had historically been in. Mm -hmm. 
Um, well, and I think that there's certainly a technical component to this uh, quite a bit, but there's kind of the two next questions that I want to talk about is that idea of kind of drilling into sort of this reality of like more digital education, like there's just going to be more of it, more places, you know, more subjects and more faculty and all these kind of things. So I think, you know, in my mind, there's kind of always this temptation of like, you know, you kind of are maybe locking things down, making it really kind of like carbon copy and standardized. And there's yeah. some value in that. There's some f- efficiencies there and, you know, kind of assurances of uh, kind of predictability. But um, certainly there could be something lost there as well. So, you know, I'll, I'll k- kind of start it open-ended of just sort of that dilemma of like, you know, kind of having something that's really kind of almost kind of highly processed uh, digital education, but still wanting to honor kind of the unique aspect of like what faculty can bring to their courses and making it, you know, perhaps a little bit more dynamic and engaging, like kind of threading that needle. Like what, what are your kind of initial thoughts there? And I've done a lot of thinking about this. I actually just wrote an article <laughs> about this. And, you know, I think the U.S. education uh, has some tremendous unique qualities and, you know, it's thought of as one of the best uh, education systems in, in the world. And one of the tenets that it was built on is something called academic freedom. And, you know, this idea that we want our educators to be free from kind of political and organizational kind of mandates and control. And we want to have the, that freedom of thought for inclusion and make sure that you can have two professors teaching the same subject at a school with differing approaches and differing opinions. And that is a, uh, a huge benefit for society and for, uh, for our country. And that that's something we want to foster. And it's built into contracts and laws in certain states. And, you know, it's such a core tenant. And I think one of the things I worry about is when you look at technology coming into uh, our education system is typically when you bring technology into a company, you are driving for standardization. You're driving for control. You need to make sure that everyone has the same thing, the same experience. And that's kind of CIO 101. That's the way you approach these things. And mm-hmm. I think in the education space, you still need to do that. You need to worry about uh, data security. You need it about student privacy. At the same time, you need to make sure you don't uh, um, squash the creativity and the new ideas and, and different ideas. And so I think that juxtaposition is an important role of a CIO is how do I keep a safe, controlled environment in which we can have different experiences and different points of views and don't um, inadvertently um, kind of um, squander some of that? Well, yeah, because I guess it, from what you're saying, it makes me think that like there is kind of a uh, harmonious balance, you know, that can be strived towards to um, not wholly like do one at the cost of the other, you know, like right. it, it makes me think of like, if you're kind of embedding things like in an LMS, for example, and, and it's maybe trying to do it in a way that like it kind of um, gets out of people's way. Like it, it's just like kind of behind the scenes where it's like, yeah, you know, we've embedded something that like verifies, you know, he's obviously like, you know, like a single sign on system, make sure that like, okay, only people that have access right. and, you know, right. That like get in or like if there's something that um, verifies like uh, when you're doing an exam or something, it's almost kind of like pre- pretty quick and instantaneous and it's then it's just out of your way. You can just yep. take your exam. You don't have to like, you know, worry about those things. So I guess is that kind of what you kind yeah, of Yeah, it's balancing those two things. You know, yeah, I think yeah. I do a lot of work on the standards bodies uh, with IMS Global and others. And, you know, I think this is kind of the part of that unlock. We need to have standard things and protections and create a safe environment. At the same time, if there's this new great ed tech that comes in, um, we should make it easy for a professor to say, I want to plug this into my LMS in a safe and secure way. But 
it may be very different. It may be, you know, a startup that's just has a new way of doing things. You have to create that, that open ecosystem in a safe and secure way, which seems like a oxymoron, but I think that's the challenge for them is you, we need this openness. We need to be able to bring new technologies uh, to play quickly, but student privacy and, and um, security is a real important thing. And, and even in that realm, how do you protect student information but at the same time, allow it to be leveraged for insights. You know, students tell me, um, I would love for you to tell me which areas I'm struggling in. I'm trying to figure it out, but you have thousands or millions of students who are all struggling, have answering questions in interesting ways. Can you help me understand what, what I'm struggling with? At the same time, I have um, CIOs at school saying, I'm not sure I can give you access to this type of information. And so they're both well-intended and both looking for something, but they're if you take it at the surface, they kind of contradict itself and, and it becomes lowest common denominator. We only can do so much because we're protecting. And so I think that's where we need to be very thoughtful in, 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 in the individual decisions and how do we balance that leverage technology for what it can do, um, let bring new ideas in, in a way where we have to make sure we know what we're protecting from whom and we feel comfortable that we've accomplished that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think definitely a lot of a lot of relevant stuff that I'm sure is on the minds yeah. of a variety of hired professionals listening. Um, uh, but I guess it also makes me think because I think that's like kind of like at the core, like definitely that's like the balance that needs to be achieved. It's just sort of at the the core of the uh, digital education experience uh, we're focusing on here. But um, I think there's the other part of like kind of, you know, everybody wants uh, scalability, you know, just the ability to yeah. really kind of grow uh, as quickly as possible. And that, that kind of gets to that balance of just like standardizing a course design or something with like a subject matter expert, uh, but then also allowing for a little bit of like freedom expression, that academic freedom that you were mentioning and yeah. that sort of thing. So I guess any thoughts on that of just sort of like that ability to kind of like, okay, well, we need five different sections of this one course. So we'll just like carbon copy, make them all the same and everybody's going to use the same playbook makes a certain amount of sense. But then like, I know sometimes students even notice that it's like, you know, there's something a little bit lost, you know, with that. So I guess any, any thoughts that you have on that sort of thing? Yeah. You know, I mean, we use kind of the term principles of design here at Cengage a lot. And a lot of that is taking the time up front to understand what your objectives are and think about who the different audiences are, the different personas, and then what, what are your um, intended outcomes. And I think putting that work up front to talk about in this class, in a developmental math course, all right, what is our objectives? Who's our audience? How do we, what different components? And I think that's where you start talking about, no, we want some freedom of expression here. We want some divergence of opinions. And in other areas, it's like, no, we, we're trying to teach basic math. So in this area, standardization is a principal design for this class. So I think um, course designers and learning designers and uh, the technology teams need to work through those more abstract templates of here's what we're trying to accomplish in this class. And then it's something we can now kind of look back on once we've built the courses, have we met the, those original principles and those original objectives? So I think that plan and design, it's a huge step. You know, unfortunately we were all thrown into the deep end um, during COVID and we threw classes together and we got them up. And I think it's now kind of that 2.0, time for 2.0, where we look at what we had, we think about what it was, and we really um, kind of do those retrospectives and decide how, how do we plan for the future. Yeah, that, that's exactly what I was thinking of. It's just like, you know, uh, reflecting and acknowledging where it's like, mm, yeah, maybe, you know, we got some feedback that it felt kind of stale, you know, because it was somebody yeah. just kind of like teaching a course designed by somebody else. And, they, they, you right. know, their heart just wasn't in it. It wasn't like exactly. any kind of like, you know, creativity to it. And then like, yeah, iterate, improve and, you know, that sort of thing, like, you know, 
ideally folks, uh, you know, yeah, like learning design teams kind of having that capacity to well, that's what's know, great build, about out, build out new things, but they yeah, improve the old ones. Yeah. That's what's great about technology. We can change it. You know, it's so much easier to change. It's so much more malleable. Um, it's much easier to change a second. You know, it was much harder to go, oh, God, I don't like chapter seven. Unfortunately, it was in between chapter one through six and, and eight through uh, 25. So changing it is is logistically complicated. It's not anymore. So as we start to free ourselves up um, and create more module components, you can, we can iterate on different areas. So I think you know this is other industries do this all the time. And it's education is now just starting to realize kind of the power of this new metaphor that a lot that really, uh, you know, it's a lot to learn, but it actually has a lot to offer that um, can allow us to continue to improve and not be locked in for long term in certain decisions that at, at the time made it made sense, but in retrospect, are uh, not what we intended. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um... Well, it makes me think too of even just in the basic sense of like kind of acknowledging that like, okay, well, yeah, maybe people don't have these like robust data, you know, reporting and visualization infrastructures, whatever, because like they can't, you know, get everything kind of uh, plugged into each other. But it could just even be like, wow, like everybody did really bad on that quiz. Like they just didn't seem to understand, you know, whatever. And like trying to like kind of gauge those things because like you said it's like well maybe i can make this module a little bit different i'll add another like yeah. you know resource or something and like just those little minor things you can kind of yeah, just see great. one of our products yeah. has we call it progress report and it's mm. fascinating to see how instructors are using it and it basically plots us every student in your class is um grades with um their effort so i know when students go in and take their self-tests and quizzes and how many flashcards they've gone through and pages they've turned so we take that information and we plot it on kind of how much work did they put in and how much uh outcome did they get what grades did they get on on um on the assignments and it's fascinating you talk to an instructor they're like this is amazing it's helping me prioritize my time because i have lots of students who are asking me for office hours and extra help and i can see that this person is is working super hard, but just not getting the success that they're looking for. This other person isn't doing any work, but they seem to be nailing it and it, they uh, are doing great. And this other person, look, they're not putting the time in. They need less of help in an area, but more of a kick in the butt for focusing on spending more time in the effort. So it, you know, now that we've moved this digitally, we can now have all of these signals that the systems are uh, pushing out. And both the student and the instructors are starting to understand this is, you know, I've talked to students who say, you know, I worked so hard in high school, I didn't realize now I'm with a whole lot of people who work twice as hard as I do. So being able to see where I sit in an effort perspective with the rest of the class helps me understand, am I putting more effort in? How do I do deal with time management? So these are tools that are out there that, um, you know, really valuable as you start to look at not changing how we learn, but just augmenting the processes that always happened. You know, everyone has had these questions all along. Professors stand up and say, did anyone get this subject? Maybe it's me. Maybe I should teach this in a different way. Or right. did they not do the homework and they didn't understand? You know, now we have more tools and more information to be able to help answer that question in a more detailed way. Yeah. Well, and I love to use that word uh, augment because that's always kind of how I, yeah. uh, you know, my mind kind of thinks of these tools like properly being used is that, yeah, it's not replacing, it's augmenting. And, um, you know, I was going to use the adage of like, it's sort of like high tech to, empower high touch like you're saying it like allows like a faculty to say like oh yeah like i can focus on the things that uh students seem to be struggling on like i can have something tangible to kind of go on uh, versus kind of 
like you even said too, like students sometimes like, oh, I don't know. You tell me like you, you like you should know maybe. Right. I don't right. know. Like, you know, they come to an office hours and they're kind of at a loss of like, I don't, I don't know what I don't know. You know, like, I, I don't know what I should be, you know, putting more of my time into. So, um, yeah, you know, no, and just, it's uh, and it yeah. just it tightens the feedback loops. You know, in the traditional way, the feedback loops are unfortunately very long and not as verbose. And so, if we can use these feedback loops into the same process, you just tighten them up, and you can do kind of continuous improvement on a much more ongoing basis. And yeah, you know, I was up late last night with my daughter helping her with the research paper, and you know, at, when it hit midnight, I said is this because you didn't do the, didn't start this in time or are you not focusing on it? Or did the, did your teacher assign something uh, in this world of COVID in their first experience that was just overwhelming and uh, was too much for the situation? And I had no idea. And so we kind of fumbled through it and um, you know, and that's tough and it would be great to have understood um, you know, for the instructor to understand how much time all of their students are putting into this. And was that what they intended? And yeah, it's tough. And these information loops, you know, I think we're getting more and more comfortable with them. I think it is something I, I spent a lot of time with personally on, you know, you have to use information for good and you have to be careful not to be kind of the creepy uh, big brother looking over everyone's <laughs> shoulder. And so how do you strike that balance of it's something that's going to help the process. It's something that's going to kind of inform uh, a decision that people are about to make. And it's not going to um, impede in their privacy and kind of their use for the wrong intentions. So it's a, it's a delicate balance and something that we talk about on, I would say, almost a daily basis on how, can, you know, we have, there's a lot we can do, but there's only some of things we should do. And how do you make mm -hmm. those uh, more subjective decisions as we're building products and uh, building reports and looking at how to, how to augment education? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, of course, my like silly brain goes to like, I don't know where Big Brothers get such a bad rap because like, <laughs> they could like, you know, be looking over your shoulder and trying to help you out, you know, and not just Big like, Brother. I'm, I'm right with you. I totally yeah. understand. <laughs> um, like I have a big, yeah, like I, I, you know, so just like, I don't know, not so bad, you know, they could be helpful. Um, but yeah, I mean, that that's the idea is like, you know, because I think, yeah, it's always about like doing it with sort of like a, uh, a soft touch or something where it's just yeah. like, yeah, we have these insights and like sort of good intentions. And, you know, especially if you have like a success coaching kind of program, you have people that can sort of use that information uh, and rapport that they've built up over time to react to things that are happening and be supportive and, you know, give resources and all those sort of things. So I think it's, yeah, all, all in the execution uh, for sure. But um, yeah, and it's all, we found, yeah. you know, yeah. transparency is such a big component of it. We have to tell people what we're doing. They have to understand what it is. And then, you know, we, we have a, a privacy statement that we've uh, published and we put on our website that is very clear what we will do with the information and more importantly, what we won't do with it. And, um, and so I think that, you know, that uh, transparency and then trust are, are two things that you, we have to have in this space. And, and then you can, then as people open up, there's so much more you can do with the information. Um, but it's, it's a, uh, it's a tight line to walk. Yeah. Well, that came up in a, a recent episode as well as like with this, these kind of transitions where like, you know, it's students who maybe, yeah, like yeah, their, their courses weren't, uh, housed in the LMS and now they're in there. But then when they take an exam in there, there's like 
monitoring stuff and it's just because it's foreign and yeah like is it kind of transparency like yeah. if you're kind of more forthright with like yeah so we're taking courses in here and there's like an online orientation that explains all the tools and those sort of things and you're like oh okay like it's as if like you know when i take an exam in person there's somebody proctoring it it's like well yeah we kind of have that but in the lms and it's like oh okay cool and it's yeah. not like a surprise when you log in for your first exam that there's this like whole thing or whatever you know that's like you know watching you and your clicks or something but um yeah i mean that's that's so great i mean yeah there's the transparency and just being uh, real clear with like privacy statements and stuff like that is yeah uh, yeah uh, definitely in support of that um well then uh you know just kind of like speaking of resources and things like that i mean you mentioned like an article i guess that you uh had put together i'm not sure if that's like out and about that we could uh share it'd be great to feature that in the show notes but anything else that comes to mind books podcasts uh websites anything you know conferences associations anything that you would want to give a shout out to give a tip of the hat to that we could uh yeah include? absolutely so uh yeah it should be uh published by the time this uh goes live so we can probably get my article up there um mm -hmm. i think you know i think it's, it's a rare, you know, it's un unfortunately, it's, I've been looking for that. I've been trying to think of how I can help. Uh, you know, I talk with lots of CIOs and we recently put together a working group and we brought, I think about 26 CIOs together to really say, look, we just want to foster a conversation and we're here. We want to throw some questions in there, but we really want all of you to talk to each other. And so we're going to keep pushing that. And uh, we, um, but I think there's, I think things like IMS Global are is a great association. It's been around a long time, nonprofit that has focused on standards, but through their um, research and papers they've put out, is a lot of talking in these areas. So when we talk about how we integrate with the LMS, privacy is a main component. And it's part of the working groups as they're building those standards. So I think really engaging in in these public standards and the um, the working groups in those areas is a great um, great asset for for the audience. You know, I think um, I think the thing that we're looking for, and you know, Cengage is trying to help foster, but we explicitly don't want to be leading it. Is we need um, CIO groups. We need, um, you know, in the in Boston, I'm part of the the CIO um, consortium where we all get together and talk about privacy and just kind of classic technology components. We haven't seen these 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 groups. Um, be created with education focus, you know, the CIOs of U.S. higher education and how that comes together. So I would say, unfortunately, I wish I could give lists. I think Cengage is going to try to sponsor some, but I, I think we need some CIOs to step up and try to um, try to create these groups and would love to help um, help them with that. But it really, you know, I think for these to be successful, in my experience, it's been the grassroots effort that uh, these groups get pulled together by people who are in the line of fire in these areas and really looking to their peers for help. So I would say, um, you know, Educause has a few that are they're starting to spin up. It's something that Educause used to be more uh, focused on. It's where IMS was spawned out of. So I'd say I think more of the members to go back to Educause. And instead of going right now, it's more of a place where you can buy desks and servers and physical goods. But I think more into solving the technology problem is something that we're going to start seeing in, uh, in those types of um, industry uh, conferences. Mm -hmm. Yeah, good stuff. Um, well, then, I mean, you had kind of alluded to uh, being one to, I guess, uh, you know, look ahead and predict things for the future. So I'm curious, I guess, any final thoughts that you'd want to share uh, for the podcast here on digital education moving forward into 2021? Yeah, I think, um, you know, I think it build on what I said before that I think the instructors around the country were thrown into the deep end. You know, the good news is they didn't drown. 
and they still need to work on their strokes and they need help. I think, you know, for schools who are really going to embrace this, they're going to really reflect on this time of COVID and then work through how do you scale what we had to figure out in the line of fire. And so I think the CIO is really at the center of that to be able to start kicking off processes on how do we train new instructors? What's the onboarding process? What's uh, What kind of, of expectations do we have with our LMSs, with all of the partners we bring in? You know, customer service is a big component of when, um, when a student has a problem, is that because a the LMS provider, which is in the cloud, is having a problem? Is that because the internet on the West Coast uh, is having a problem? Or is that because there's a bunch of people down the hall on their Xbox sucking up all the bandwidth, and that's the problem? And this, you know, from the end user's perspective, I don't know what, whose problem it is, but I can't do my homework. And so really focusing on having a great experience and technology and education is going to have to be kind of like the dial tone. You just expect it to work. And to do that, there's a lot of infrastructure that schools and, and service providers are going to be able to have to bring to the table to make sure that this uh, this thing that can really help and be a great experience doesn't become an obstacle because of kind of the logistics of the situation. So I think I, I'm an optimist as well. So I think in 2021, what we're going to see is uh, people are going to start to learn their strokes. People are going to start to work through more how to systemize this in schools. And, you know, I think the experience that we've had is a lot better than we all thought it would be in April. And, but we still have a lot of opportunity to make it even better. And I think everyone's kind of poised to be able to do that. Yeah. Such great stuff and such a great message to end on. And, um, I appreciate you so much for jumping on and sharing all that you did and, um, and we'll, uh, have some good resources to check out down in the show notes, but, um, you know, it's great, Dustin. I really appreciate you pulling this together <laughs> and it was, uh, it was fun to do. Thanks for listening to this episode of the podcast. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode of the Higher Ed Geek Podcast.